0: Well, hello again, and thanks for joining us for another one of our uh, pastoral Bible studies, continuing on the book of Mark, just a handful of chapters to finish up. So today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 12, and we'll jump right in uh, with verse 1. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time... He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is his heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others? Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because he, they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. All right, so Jesus
1: is uh, still in the crowd in Jerusalem. There's people all around. Remember the last chapter, they were starting to agitate him, try to trap him. Yep. And so she just kind of goes on a little bit of offense here and tells this parable it's a parable it's a uh, it could easily be a true story um, sure I mean it's a it's a plausible scenario Well, it's something that people would but have been able to, to relate to yeah yeah, yeah. sure and so uh, and and it's interesting like a lot of his Jesus's parables are kind of confusing to people or maybe they
0: get part of it but not they're always All asking, please explain this to us, or they go away, what does this mean, what was he saying?
1: Yeah, but here, at the they end, know. You see, they were like, oh yeah, he's talking yeah.
0: to us. Yeah. And kind of mad about it. I mean, there's a lot of people you'll see interwoven in this chapter for today that Jesus comes face to face with, right? It mentions the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Herodians, it's everybody together, and we start seeing this great foreshadowing of what he's mentioning within that parable of obviously he being this son that goes before to be able to uh, go to these people and yet they're they're looking for a way to be able to kill him to be able to take this inheritance right
1: and the uh the so obviously the owner of the vineyard god mm-hmm. god owns the world he leaves it in the hands of his servants people of us yeah uh, we don't do a good job tending to it but uh, he sent prophets again and again yeah. to speak his words to his people, and they did
0: literally all these different things. Beat them. Yep. Some were killed. Um, so some were thrown out of the city, like they throw them out of the vineyard. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I can see every single one of these has a corresponding individual. Mm-hmm. And then
1: the son. Finally, the owner says, "I'll send my son. They'll respect my son." And of course, it's already been prophesied how it's going to go down. Jesus knows his, his, uh, I call it fate, but I mean it's God's plan. Okay. Jesus knows how it's it's going to be happening. But uh, so he quotes this Psalm 118, hmm. uh, the stone the builders rejected. So that's Jesus. The builders would be the Jewish leaders, all these people by <laughs> named. Yeah, Sadducees, Pharisees. Uh, so this stone has become the capstone, and uh, the capstone, or maybe a cornerstone. Uh, it's the key art. I'll think of an arch. Maybe that's the capstone that goes into completing an arch. That just bears all the weight of both. Yep. Both sides. The down. Whatever. The downward pressure. Yep. And same thing with like Holds a all cornerstone
0: in a building, right at the corner. Same thing. It's it's bearing, like you said, all of the weight, no matter where it's placed at so uh this is definitely
1: a warning i mean they are right they understand what jesus is saying this is definitely a warning to them and now they've got the choice to heed the warning repent that's god's will Mm -hmm. all repent and come to faith or dig their heels in and be stubborn and and look for a way to get rid of jesus
0: and interestingly, the only reason it seems like they don't they don't do anything here at the conclusion again, they're afraid of the crowd. That's always seems to be what's driving uh, the Pharisees, right? This public opinion and a mm-hmm. will because they don't want to lose any part of their prowess or power either. And so they just, they keep waiting. You know, it's this waiting game over and over again. And obviously we'll come back to that in a few chapters because finally when they do get the crowd on their side is when they're able to finally spin things. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how the crowd really does make up the direction of where where things go. I always thought that to be kind of interesting cuz you have these great leaders that want to be able to direct but they can't do so without the people, right?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the first parable. So, moving on again, still in the same crowd of people, things are very active. This is toward the end of Jesus's ministry. Big crowds always follow him. He's in Jerusalem, and so it's kind of one kind of event, one encounter after the other. So in verse 13, uh, later, they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his, uh, to catch him in his words. I was caught up on that. <laughs> it's, I mean, this is the purpose, right? They're yeah. still trying to trap him. Uh, they came to him and said, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to what they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? he asked. But he plays along. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's,
0: and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Yeah, so interesting, right? They, they come and they really try to butter him up in the beginning, right? Oh, teacher, you know, they're giving him a, a title. Uh, we know that you are a man of integrity. You know, you do all these things so well. You aren't swayed by anything. And then they get right down to it, right? This this question to trap him. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Let me phrase that in another way. They said, should we pay or shouldn't we? And Christ knows their hypocrisy. He even says, you know, you're trying to trap me. I, I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And again, I always love when he, uh, Jesus uses something physical to be able to teach people. And he he could have just asked the question. He actually, But he actually says, you know, bring me a coin has somebody pull that out of their pocket who knows who this individual is bring that to them and visually show everyone you know this is it you know whose portrait is on on this coin whose inscription is on there and points them you know not to just be, get caught up in things of this world but to really be founded upon god and really his message is i think relates a little bit back to his parable too in reality it's all God's, right? This whole vineyard belongs to him. It doesn't belong to the tenants or to the renters, the people working it. It really belongs to God. And so we should be called to be able to give to God what is what is his in all things.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting you started to bring up kind of all the different factions of people that are kind of attacking. Yeah, it's everywhere. Take Jesus down. Yeah. This is, a, this is a true case of where my enemy's enemy is my friend. Yeah, the team of Yeah. The Herodians and the Pharisees were mortal enemies. Yeah, they hate these guys. So the you got to think about being a Jew, living in Palestine, under Roman occupation. Uh, the Pharisees were the group of guys who were trying to stay true, trying to stay true to the Jewish religion and the laws of Moses and uh, David, you know, whatever, a descendant of David needs to be our king, not these Roman rulers. Whereas the Herodians, these were a group of Jewish men mm-hmm. who kind of sold out to the yeah. Romans. Oh yeah. And they kinda of accepted this not non-Jewish fake king you know over the oh, yeah. over the uh, land, over the Israelites. And so they were just
0: they didn't agree. No, they didn't like each anything. other at all. But they neither they did agree Jesus. Yeah. They didn't
1: agree Jesus had to go. It's
0: probably the one thing that they really, really agree upon. And then
1: Jesus, I think, is so great about this answer. Is, so you've got these two guys, two groups, uh, these different I don't know, kingdoms, really, these different worldviews clashing, but they're both going to Jesus. And Jesus says, you, you're both wrong. You're both confusing the two kingdoms in the big sense, right? Caesar is the king of this land and this world, and he has a right to collect taxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's another kingdom, God's kingdom. Yeah. And God has the right to direct our souls yeah. uh, to do everything, like you were saying. He owns the vineyard. He owns it all. Uh, whatever. A little irony there. How they're they're fighting basically over the kingdom of the world. Uh, that's where they're clashing, right? And that's where they're against Jesus. And he's saying, you're, "Look, you're you're both in the wrong camp. <laughs> you're both uh, being led astray by the, uh, the worldly kingdom and missing out on the on what God's doing here." And, and going back to the previous parable, talking about missing out on what God's doing, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And then, again, it's still Psalm one eighteen, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Mm-hmm. You see, where the builders who rejected it—the the Jewish leaders, the Herodians, the Pharisees, all of them—completely missed Jesus. That it's those who realize what God is doing and says, "Wow, this is marvelous. Yeah, yeah. Look how marvelous this is. The God has sent His Messiah to save." you know take away our sins uh,
0: those are the believers those are the ones in the in the kingdom of God but just as we've mentioned before too even beside the believers these people that are going if you will against Christ or trying to trap him they still you know as we mentioned before they're not denying that he can do miracles or things like that and even at the end of this section the last element says and they were amazed at him mm-hmm. you know they they try to trap Christ they're playing this Mental chess game with him, and he throws something out that they just don't see coming. He takes somehow the pawn that was on the other side of the board that seemed to play no piece in the game, has all of a sudden put their king in checkmate, and they're completely <laughs> amazed by it. They just did, they didn't see this coming, and I don't know. I think there's something for us there too, just when we're trying to. I think sometimes we play a mental game of chess with the Lord too, of thinking he should do something for us or that things should go one way or another or being able to challenge things. And sometimes we just don't see uh, the moves that the Lord has in place across the entire board of our lives mm-hmm. of why something happens or what he's doing here or there. And sometimes maybe you know we do just need to sit back and wait and just be amazed by what what God is truly doing in our lives.
1: Yeah,
0: good. All right, moving we'll on. Take the next
1: session. Yeah, you have brothers, don't you?
0: I do, but only two. Oh. Only two. Oh. Yeah. yeah All right, marriage at the resurrection, then the Sadducees. Uh, see now we're another group here. Yeah, who's totally
1: st- different group who <laughs> well, also don't like the Pharisees yeah, or the Herodians. Yeah. Anyway,
0: <laughs> let's let, let us to the place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, our turn who say uh, there was no resurrection, and that's a great point to Very be able to point. kind of give them description. Yeah, let's just start. So the Sadducees do not believe there's life after death. Yeah, nothing whatsoever. That's what they're... You die, it's over. And so this is interesting, the question that they asked. Yeah. They come to him this question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses and the account of the bush? How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are badly mistaken. All right, so first of all, this interesting piece, yeah, uh, maybe back to the element. Mm -hmm. First of all, he talks about Moses writing for them that if a man's brother uh, dies and leaves a wife with no children, that the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. So this is obviously more of an Old Testament piece of law that was in place. Right. Um, And from this, they're kind of building upon that. A ridiculous... Well, they take this number seven, and I'm wondering, eh, I don't know for certain, but the number seven within Scripture does have certain uh, just representations that's made. And so I'm wondering if they take this number seven to try to, you know, expand upon that. So you think about like when Jesus is asking, you know, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Is it seven? And, you know, in Scripture, a lot of times it would have been good to re- forgive somebody, you know, maybe like three times. And so they're going over and be, be able to... So I wonder if they're doing the same thing. Instead of having three brothers in the story, let's make it seven mm-hmm. and see what happens. The other thing in this story, what's wrong with this woman here, man? She's going through a lot of guy, guys here really, really quick. But the fact that uh, all of them are, are a dying clear. off... Yeah, <laughs> little black widow. The fact that all of them are, are dying off Uh, They leave no children, and finally it says the woman dies too. And so they ask this question. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And this is actually a practical question, I think, for people too, especially in our society today in which people live a lot longer than they would have lived when these questions were being asked. And many times within our life, uh, just due to natural uh, death, some people do remarry, you mm-hmm. know, maybe once, maybe maybe twice even for mm-hmm. some people. Maybe maybe they haven't even been divorced. And so this is an interesting question that I bet some of our people uh, may wonder about, or just people out in the world, you know, what does that look like in heaven? And I think God kind of provides this answer for us here, uh, these relationships. Uh, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given In marriage. I think this is where we need to be careful here. Uh, Notice Christ's words they will be like the angels in heaven. Some people seem to grab a hold of this and think, oh, we are going to be angels in heaven, or that there's this transformation that's occurring. But Christ is really referring to. More of relationship status that's here, right? It's this different plane, yeah. this different area, and so the relationships words, here. He's
1: letting us know angels aren't married. Yeah, they don't get exactly. married. Exactly. Yeah,
0: and so it's like the relationships here. Not that they, I don't want to say that they have no credence whatsoever in heaven. It's just different, right? It's on this different plane. Uh, I don't think that's something that we receive from the scripture that we're like that's uh, maybe the, the most important element to us in heaven. It doesn't mean that you won't know mm-hmm. who people are or uh, enjoy being with family or friends or any other relationship, but our main purpose when we're gonna be in heaven really will be that you know, praising of God and being able to glorify Him, being able to learn more from Him, not just being able to have these earthly relationships that are formed here.
1: Yeah, I know I've heard some people say that they, they don't think they would be happy in heaven if they weren't married. Mm. And I've heard some husbands say, I don't think they could be happy in heaven if they were married. But no, the point is uh, um, it is on a completely different plane. Um, and God never takes away something from us without giving us something even better. Mm. So the incredible, intimate, personal... Relationship we'll have with the Lord is beyond anything we even attempt to experience here on Earth. It's um, yeah beyond anything that we can imagine. He's our light and our life. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, I think we're eternity. trying to you're trying to take earthly elements and translate them into uh, you know a, a heavenly language and that doesn't really. We wouldn't do that with our clothes, right? I wouldn't be like, oh man, I really like these clothes and I hope that I have these in in heaven or s- any other element here. And so it's the same. I like your uh, point there, Pastor Mark, of, you know, God really gives us more. And sometimes when you have more or something that is different, it's just a different understanding that's there as well. Yeah.
1: And I would say, I mean, I think marriage is one of the greatest gifts God has given oh, to yeah. humans. Oh, yeah, yeah on this side of heaven so it's hard to imagine well I don't want to let that go that's the great that's the best thing I've got yeah here yeah Uh, we gotta understand it's a it's just a whole other world literally
0: (laughs) yeah and you can (laughs) say that about a lot of different things yeah I think you can say that about a lot of different things but uh, the point Christ really is making here is that you know that's not uh, that's not the focus there and I also really like how he concludes You know, pulling those words from the Old Testament, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am not the God of the dead, but of the living. Mm -hmm. And that's a a really neat point. Yeah, Uh, Jesus really,
1: that's a great teaching point right there for them. Because, again, the Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. So the whole premise of their question is... Absurdity from their worldview, but again, just trying to get at it, to, right? And he's yeah. trying to correct. So he says, "Look, you don't know the scriptures." Yeah. And you don't know the power of God, right? Number one, whichever word you want to take it, right? You don't know the power of God. He's he can glorify our bodies. You don't believe that God can do that. Mm-hmm. The Sadducees. Mm-hmm. You don't believe that God can raise the dead. That he can grant eternal existence in our human forms. And uh, says so you, you don't even know the power of God. Plus, on top of that, you don't know the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. Because you're saying uh, whatever. God is the God of the dead. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob—they're dead. They're dead. They're gone. And said, so, no, that's not. That would that's ridiculous. God is God of the living. They they are with the Lord now. So he knocks him back.
0: Takes him down a few pegs, I'd say. Yeah. Well, then this, the story kind of changes. And I like this, because mm-hmm. we always hear about the teacher's law, Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever, coming after Jesus, and it kind of shifts here in this next section. Yeah, here's a sincere guy.
1: Uh, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Just pause real quick. For yeah, context. I was taking that, too. So, it would be super common uh, in synagogue, probably just hanging out at people's houses, but uh, even formally, like on a Sabbath day, uh, to, to pit uh, one great rabbi's sermon or thoughts or interpretation against another great rabbi's kind of interpretation mm-hmm. and thoughts. And the, the people would debate well, this and that, and it could be this, but what about this verse over here? Mm-hmm. And it was very exciting, exhilarating. Yeah. People love to debate and learn more. You do learn more by asking questions. Why? Through healthy debate, yeah. Right, right, right. So this is probably, this teacher of the law, I mean, this is what he was used to. It's probably what he thought he was starting with Jesus. Hmm. So he saw Jesus answer the Sadducees really well. He's like, oh, man, I'd love to, let's tackle the big question with, the, with this Jesus here and see hmm. see if we go around and you know learn a little bit. So, but Jesus, of course, always, he's going to go off, uh, completely surprise him. All right, so which is the most important commandment? Verse uh, 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that verse is essentially like the Apostles' Creed mm. to Jews. That's uh, from Deuteronomy. It's... Uh, it's called the Shema. Yeah. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Chad. Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. And then he continues. So that's that's established understanding. It's established word of God. Um, hero, Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. And then Jesus keeps going. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this: like you only asked for the greatest one. I gave you that one. Bonus commandment. Here's one for free. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And well said, teacher, rabbi, would be Hebrew. uh, The well said. uh, The man replied, "You are right in saying that God is one. We all know that, and there is no other but Him. Yes, we all know that." And then, uh, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Ha, ha, ha.
0: that's a pretty bold statement that he makes there too, you know, that these commandments that you share with us, Jesus, are more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Because that would, I mean, that would have been a huge thing right there in the temple courts of what people were doing and being told that they needed to do to Mm -hmm. be able to get rid of their sins. But he says, well, actually, yeah, these are, these are more important. Yeah, I think it's great insight by this man who is not,
1: we don't know his name, um, Great insight that he understood that the laws, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, whatever, all the laws of the Old Testament, were not some kind of framework or structure for works righteousness. Yeah, building blocks, yeah. For, for us achieving our salvation, but that the, the heart of it, <laughs> right, the foundation of it, is love. It, it's as simple as that it's about loving
0: God and loving others. And then that's what matters most. I mean, it. I, I love the way Christ puts this because it's like the simplicity of all the commandments. You know, we always talk about the commandments being on tablets of, you know, the first set of commandments dealing with God and the second set of commandments dealing with uh, our neighbor. You know, putting these commandments first, you know, it really does, it, it solves, it it summarizes even those brief Ten Commandments down to these two, right? That we would just love God and love people. And it really is this this huge calling for us, not just to try to, like you said, have this works righteousness piece of building ourselves up, which was so popular during that time and during that culture and, frankly, during our culture today, too. You know, people wanting to know how we earn this great gift and jesus response to him is great you know you are not far from the kingdom of god i think that gives me like a a little piece of encouragement there too you know this is how we experience this kingdom of god here on earth or share that with others by doing those two simple things Mm -hmm. that god calls us to a life of eternity not just in heaven but here today to be able to worship him and to be able to lift him up and the funny thing is you know he gives this great response and then right there, it stops, right? And then no one dared ask him any more questions. It's kind of like, oh, man, he's really got us <laughs> on this one. you know? We, we, we had three strikes today. Yeah, yeah, it I, it didn't, didn't work out so well for us. Exactly. Well, yeah. it was still one more little piece, though. Uh, who is the, the son of Christ? So much for no more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely.
1: All right, maybe a little context to help. Uh, kind of understand. So Jesus, they didn't ask any more questions, but Jesus knew they still were lacking some understanding. Yeah. So he kind of posed posed the question to them, and uh, so again, the, this whole religious group, Pharisees, teachers of the law, Sadducees, they 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 made this huge error in saying, teaching, believing that the Messiah would is the son of David only. That the Messiah would be a human, he would be under the law, that means he would be a part of the religious structure Mm -hmm. and authority. Uh, And Jesus is teaching no. (laughs) Uh, The Messiah is also God, (laughs) way above the religious structure and authority. And that, I think, pretty much sums up the uh, conflict, if you will. It's probably a mild word yeah, it, yeah. But between the religious leaders and Jesus through the whole his whole life, all the way to the crucifixion.
0: And I guess Christ tries to give some clarity there, right? He gives that quote, David himself speaking, says, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll put you under my, the enemies, uh, under your feet. Uh, David himself calls him Lord, then how can right. he be his son? He says, you know, look look what we have right here for us. We have proof that that's not the case, that it isn't this just individual in this lineage right. that has to be this human, yeah, but no. it truly is God. Right. Again, Jesus goes back to the Word, back to the Old Testament that they have and that they're familiar with. Yeah.
1: That they all agree is... familiar to them. And they all agree is God's Word. Yeah, the Word of God. This yeah, the truth. And, uh, yeah, so just like before, he quotes... Uh, really
0: relevant verses and uh, tries to show them the error of their ways. We see he's got this large crowd that is listening to him. I like that. With delight. Uh, I think that's so important for us to carry on to being in worship, of being in scripture, of delighting in the word that we have. And Jesus issues this warning that's there, right? Watch out for the teachers of the law. And he talks about all these things that they do of these outward appearances right you know they're walking around you know being able to show off their glitz and glam if you will they're they're greeted in the marketplace they love their stature that they have Um, they have the most important seats everything is about them right every single thing he mentions they're not serving they're not doing exactly what he just said are the most important commandments they're not honoring God anywhere. And they're not loving the people around them. It's all about exactly what they have. And it even says those words that they devour those uh, widows' houses. And that's not just a, a, a speech or a, like a saying that's there. They're actually talking about that these individuals would figure out ways to be able to, to tax or to be able to take on other people so that they could get uh, the funds from those different things yeah. and be able to inherit that for themselves.
1: Right. I think we talked about Corbin.
0: Yes. About Corbin.
1: Yep. The, the made up I didn't even rule. think about that just now. Yeah. So the uh, a, a man wouldn't have to uh, spend money to uh, take care of his parents if he was given it to the, the church. But of course it was a whole different account that he used to yeah. buy lunch and what are business expenses. Yeah. Kind of day. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and also the... Uh, uh, Jesus talked about you know for a show they make lengthy prayers yeah so these big long winded lustrous words you know real long lengthy prayers for show yeah and you know prayer is just talking to God and I don't uh, I don't want anybody to neglect their prayer life because they feel like they have to say the right words the right way I mean it's literally just as simple as talking to the person next to you yeah. And it can be just as short as, God, help. God, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, that's that's a prayer, a, a sincere, a powerful prayer.
0: Yeah, I will say, you know, I do enjoy hearing somebody in clarity speak good, kind uh, words to our Lord with clarity. Some people, yeah. I think, have more of a, I don't know, maybe a a way with words or a gift of prayer than others. Maybe some of them may feel more comfortable, but it's great to even just be able to hear a a child speak just brief words to, to God, right? Our preschool students do that here, you know, and they'll just pray for, you know, mom, dad, and their guinea pig hairy or yep. something, you know. But that's sincere. I, yeah, and that's really what's on their heart. And I think God does l- hear, love to hear about their little guinea pig Harry. You know, yeah. being able to to talk to talk to them. And so we should be the same way as adults. You know, I know it can be fearful and in, in group settings or in public, just like it is with a lot of things. But it doesn't mean we should neglect that. Uh, and, but especially in this instance, doesn't mean we should. You don't have to feel like you're making a show for other people during public prayer or anything yeah. that's, that's public like that. That's not the point of prayer. It's not for those people around you. Uh, obviously, we do lift people, but it's not for their show. It's for something we are offering to God and that He offers really to uh, us and having that time of conversation with Him. So All right, you're just going to lead Last into the next section,
1: though, with this. All right, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Hmm. All right. I'm just going to read that part again in case anybody wants to <laughs> know if Jesus is watching them put their money into the temple
0: treasury. I don't know if that's what this is about. I'm just saying. All right, that's
1: what happened. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on.
0: So Jesus is watching. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it mentions that. He's, well, well, he's sitting there with his Jesus, disciples, right? He's think, hanging out there. Do you think Jesus doesn't know what people give? I'm does sure he knows. I think yes, he knows. I'm sure he knows. Yeah, I think he knows. <laughs> he's, he's sitting down opposite the place where the offerings were put, but it does say that he watched the crowd putting in their money. Not that he's watching so, the amounts or judging them in some way. You just sees what is happening, and it was kind of, I it think, more of a public display that's there,
1: yeah. And so, I my my uh guess is that uh, you could hear the coins dropping in the box probably across the street or yeah. whatever, yeah. That's my guess. And so, you know, the cathud, the cathud, maybe of the heavy coins,
0: whatever gold maybe, or something, even physically seen somebody versus the two little copper coins, plink, plink. Well, maybe even the physically seeing somebody right, if somebody trying to make a show of it, oh. holding something higher, mm-hmm. you know, of being able to release it, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody dropping something, something in there, right. Um, so this is a, a tangent. So my uh, retired pastor back in
1: Chattanooga, yep, uh, he talked about back when he was a kid in his Lutheran church in Wisconsin, they put the offering plate plates uh behind the uh altar They kinda had a so you come up for communion, okay, you take communion, and you put your cup, and when you go back behind you put your offering in. Hmm. And he said he could sit in the in the choir loft, cling, chain, cling, he made nickel, quarter, penny, dime, dime, penny, nickel. <laughs> it's true. True story. I, I believe it. <laughs> so, I mean this practice I guess <laughs> Some Lutherans have carried that on. <laughs> we don't do that here, by the way. No. We don't even pass a plate anymore. Nope. I'm actually kind of happy about
0: that. Well, the big piece of the story, though, is the point that... Hey, those, these are all Christ big pieces. It is. Okay, it go, is. Ahead.
1: go ahead. What's your big
0: piece? But, it, well, <laughs> it's interesting this, that many people threw in large amounts. That's only known, like I said, because somehow He's you can Jesus. see it. No, I don't know. I think other people can see it, too. I think it's not just Jesus. I think other people would see it because they want them to to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not anonymous donations that are being made.
1: Well, of course, Jesus knew.
0: How would Jesus know that
1: those two copper coins were everything she had to live on? There's no way anybody could have known
0: that. Probably not. That was because he's Jesus. That I agree. There's something that's there. Yeah. But calling his disciples to him, he makes this point. I tell you, the poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. And so, I don't know, just it, it, it really is a good, I think, challenge to us of what we offer to God in return to him and in his calling out of what he has given to us. And not just, not just, Financially, but of our whole lives too. You know, what is the amount that we offer unto Him? And just because you have something that doesn't seem like it's some wonderful gift, even if it's a, a talent that you don't think is good enough, how are you offering that unto Him? You know, all that we, all that we have, because just giving out your wealth is that's easy, right? It really is easier for us to give out of our wealth, uh, especially if you want to make comparisons to people. But the comparison that Jesus makes here is really one who's willing to give all they have unto him. Yeah. So here's what I
1: would say. Uh, It's easier to give a fraction of what you own uh, when you're wealthy, but it's easier to give everything you own when you're poor. Uh, If you only have two copper coins to live on, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not going to be enough to buy a meal for today, much less groceries for the week. Sure. So you are very literally praying, give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. And you are trusting God is gonna provide for you. The trouble that we have, you we have wealth of any level, is that we do put trust in our wealth. Yeah. And not that that's a bad thing, but we should fear love and trust in God above all things. Mm-hmm. So be wise with money, put you know trust in, to that extent. But our temptation is, is to trust it more than we trust God. So uh, a couple of weeks ago or so we, we talked about the, the rich man that came up to Jesus said, "I want to oh, yeah. follow you." And Jesus said, okay. you know, you, you know you follow the commandments. Yeah, yeah, I keep the commandments go, okay Jesus, we'll just do one more thing. Sell everything you have and then you come home and his face was downcast remember his face fell yeah he just walks away He walked away sad because he had great wealth and i think we are so cautious about tiptoeing around this whole topic about giving money we immediately go to um well well it's not just money you know it's also our talents and our time and you know how do we give those things or and or like with this the the rich man that walked away it's so, like well Jesus didn't ask us to give everything away that was just an example mm. of one person mm. but i i feel convicted because i ask myself but what if Jesus did ask me yeah. to give everything yeah yeah monetarily of wealth house car savings if he didn't i don't he's not i don't think he will um, but if he did, mm-hmm. would my fear, love, and trust in God be above my fear, love, and trust in, in my wealth? Mm-hmm. That'd be tough. Sure. it would be really hard. Whereas the widow was like, I didn't have anything when I woke up this morning. <laughs> God, God's gotten me through today. Yeah. I'll trust him to get through tomorrow. Well, anyway, that's something to think about. But I want to close... Um, since most of us listening, uh, maybe some people watching other parts of the world uh, are in a different situation, but for the vast majority of us in America, we don't have the privilege of giving out of our poverty. Hmm. Uh, we don't have that privilege. So, I want to that's an example of giving from poverty, but I want to share an example of someone who gave people who gave from their wealth. And First Chronicles chapter 29, uh, you remember King David, the great king, the psalmist. Uh, David wanted so much to build the temple for God. He wanted to build God's house. Uh, And God said, no, it's going to be your son. Solomon is going to build the temple. Basically, you build the army, you secure the nation kind of thing. Uh, Solomon will build the temple. So anyway, in 1 Chronicles 29, uh, King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze, iron, wood, as well as onyx for settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stone and marble, all these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlays of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and for the silver work and for all the work to be done uh, by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing? To consecrate himself today to the lord so the king is addressing the court yeah if you will. everybody yeah these are the uh, they didn't have uh dukes and du- whatever this is the These is these are the leaders yeah israel so the king stepped up first and says so this, this is what, what i'm doing this is yeah. what i'm doing what are you going to do to consecrate yourself to the lord uh, then the Lord, uh, sorry, then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of, on the temple of God five thousand talents and ten thousand darkest of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eight thousand talents of bronze, and a hundred thousand talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehel, the the priest. Uh, The people rejoiced at the willingness and the response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. Hmm. So an example of a generous heart, consecrating themselves to the Lord, uh, seeing a, a great... Task the Lord has put before him mm-hmm. and saying, We're going to go, we're all in. We're completely yeah. committed. We're consecrated to you, God. I also like, uh, personally, I like the way he describes it as a palatial structure hmm. because this is not a house for man. This yeah. is a house for, yeah, God. for God. Yeah. And I think there's a balance there here today. Sure. I think uh, we need to be frugal. We have other ministries and, and things to give, but I don't think it's at the neglect of our facilities. I think our facilities are, well, we do consecrate them. Mm-hmm. We have dedication services for all of our buildings. They've been set aside as uh, for use of the Lord's work, mm-hmm. uh, the house of the Lord, and uh, we should treat it with that respect and honestly care. So if we have uh, luxurious homes that we live in, I do, um, I think the Lord's house here Nothing wrong with being somewhat luxurious, if, if
0: as viewed by the world. Yeah,
1: yeah. Should be nice.
0: It oh, it's definitely a nice, clean place. You know, it, mm-hmm. uh, there's an, uh, a piece of reverence and respect that goes along with that, right? Uh, being able to treat it so cleanly and being able to just hold it in higher regard, and we should definitely do that for uh, our places of worship. All right,
1: all right. Let's close with prayer. Then. Yeah. All right, Heavenly Father. Uh, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins and be our Savior. Uh, what great examples uh, he shared with us as he uh, allowed us to, to, to witness uh, the different challenges of, of theology, of beliefs in you, of, of how you work in the world, of the importance of your law, how your law works in our lives, and really what the most important thing is. Uh, help us, Lord, to always love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, everybody. All right, we'll see you next week.